Malikai. Malikai. Oh, kat ni kelas susah. Pak Utaut. I'm not organized. I'm watching Malikai chapter two. Page six hundred seventy-eight. Thank you. Now is this okay for you, Pat? Can you hear me? Can you hear Ed? Can you hear Pat? Can you hear me? Yes, just about. Oh, okay. Have you got your hearing aid in, Pat? Have you got your hearing aid in? Well, I have, but they took it off me. Oh? Said I didn't need, but I do need it. Yeah. All right. So I'll have to see about it. Oh, Where am I going? Going to the demand. Malachi. Page 676. Thanks that we are able to meet together and we, we are uh, mindful of your promises to us that where two or three are gathered there, uh, we will find you in the midst. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that this, this uh, uh, time that we spend together looking at your word, that you would indeed, uh, through Eddie, deliver uh, your words to us and a message that uh, will we'll, will uh, speak to uh, each one of our hearts uh, in different ways. And for this we uh, ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Great. So what I want to start with really is a very sort of simple illustration. Imagine, you know, there's a child and he breaks a window while kicking a ball around in the garden. And his dad quite naturally tells him off. And the child says, it's not my fault. It's not my fault that the garden isn't big enough to play football in. And apart from that, hey Dad, you gave me the ball. And then looks at the broken window and he says, and look at that window, you should have made it stronger. So you see what's happening here. Uh, the dad has the authority, he's quite right to say what he, he says, the child is guilty. But what's happening is, you know, for justice to be done, the broken window must be repaired. And the broken window is the fault of the child. And it's the father who has the authority to see that these things are sorted out. Now, we all want justice. We all like to see justice done. But when we come under judgment, then we're less likely to want justice. And what we do is try to justify our actions. So we can afford, uh, you know, avoid being having, having justice, you know, brought to us. So what I want to do now is just take that illustration with us, and I want us to go into Genesis three. I'm just going to read a few verses, uh, verse eight through to thirteen. You'll notice this is after Adam and Eve sinned, so they've actually now sinned against God. And what happens is this. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman that you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And then the Lord said to the woman, What is it that you have done? And the woman said, The snake deceived me, and I ate it. So what they're doing here is they're ignoring or pushing to one side the fact that they are guilty and they're concentrating on what's happening now to try and justify their actions. And they're trying to do that by moving the blame. And the blame is going really when Adam was blaming the woman, the woman was blaming the snake. They're all blaming God. You know, you put us here. And they're just trying to justify their actions. And God, through the, the, the prophet Malachi, is speaking to, who's he speaking to? Unfaithful Israel. And they're listening to what God is saying. But every step of the way, they challenge him. They challenge God's words. They challenge God's authority. And what they're doing is they're trying to justify their own actions. And we see that right the way through this group of Malachi. God loves them. But they're saying to God, God, you say you love us, but how do you love us? And then they're being um, told what they're doing wrong, and they say, well, how have we shown contempt for your name? We're still going to the temple, we're still going through the motions. And how have we defiled you? We're still bringing sacrifices. And God has been showing them that these things that they're doing, they're actually wrong, and they shouldn't be doing them. But they're trying to justify their actions. And they're trying to avoid the guilt, but not in the end. And trying to not only avoid the guilt, but trying to move the, the sort of the actual faults away from themselves. In other words, we've done nothing wrong. We're not to blame. That's what they're saying. So we're just to that point now, we just started in um, the end of chapter two, uh, 17, and we're going to go into chapter three. We come to the point here now where, I want to say this reverently, but God is turning around to these people and he's basically saying, look now, I'm fed up listening to you. I've had enough. I'm just fed up listening to you and the things that you're saying. It reminds me of 2 Peter 3 verse 9. Let me just read this verse to you. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come in repentance. So we're looking at justice. We're looking at God's judgment. And you saw that word patience. God is patient. We're very familiar with that word. We, we all know what it means to be patient. It's the capacity to accept or tolerate a delay. You know, you're waiting, you're patiently waiting. It's to deal with a problem that, you, that you, you know, you, you, you're putting up with it, but you can only put up with it for so long because your patience will eventually run out. And also there's then that personal suffering that you might endure because of somebody else. And so rather than confront them or even you know, um, get justice, you tolerate that and you tolerate it, you are patient with them, and you're doing everything to bring them around to the point where they recognize what they've done, and then they can, um, without you having to punish them, they will then themselves admit to the guilt 
So this is God's patience. Well, God offers patience, but it won't last forever. Just like us. You know, we are made in God's image. <laughs> we, we are patient at times. But then you come to the point where your patience runs out, so quite rightly, you say, that's it, that's it, that's enough. So Malachi 2, verse uh, 17 to chapter 3. I've heard this room. You want justice. Well, here's the, the, the overrider. Just be careful what you're asking for. Okay? He's saying to them, look, you want justice. But just be careful what you're asking for. Verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him? You ask. By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord, and he is pleased with them. For where is the God of justice? Okay. The problem is their refusal to accept God's authority. They won't accept God's authority, just like the, the lad in the garden wouldn't accept the authority of his father. He wouldn't um, sort of bow to his authority and accept the guilt of men. Uh, see that the justice would be done. So what happens there? When they move away from God, when they refuse to accept God's authority, what they do is they turn to their own understanding. And that's what people do when they turn away from God. They turn to their own understanding and they start to work things out for themselves. And they work them out in the way that they want them to be. And because this is what they're doing, they lack the understanding of what justice is. They, they can't see that. They can't see what justice really is. They're accusing God of being unjust. And then they're saying to him, where are you? You know, these people who are getting away with all kinds, you're doing anything to them, aren't you? So how can you call yourself a God of justice? And they're even coming to the point where they're saying, it seems that God delights in letting people do what they want. And get on with the things that they're doing. The question is, they're asking, why do bad things happen to good people? And why do good things uh, happen to bad people? <coughs> now, that's something for us to think about. You know, it comes up right through scripture, really. Uh, and people ask it today when they see things that are happening. Why does God allow bad people to prosper? And then Good people don't. We go to the Sermon on the Mount. It's a very well known sermon, and it's in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. And I'll just share a few words from that. I'm just going to read verse 43 to 48. And we're going to just see uh, this little passage in relation to what we've seen here in the book of Malachi. Jesus said, You've heard it said, um, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And get that. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is how God expresses his love and his patience. Well, get hold of that. You know, it, the sun shines on the good and the bad, and the rain falls on the good and the bad. This is God's love, but he's patient doing this. 
that particular job. If you're a boss in London, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Things that Jesus is asking us to do is the opposite to what people usually do. You know, love your enemies, be good to those who persecute you. But at the end there, uh, he's saying, be perfect. How are we to be perfect? Well, it's there. As your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, we don't reach perfection because we're not God, but we try to attain it to image God. Now, in his perfection, God blesses a fallen world. That's why it rains on the good and the bad. That's why the sun shines on the good and the bad. So God is blessing a fallen world. They are God's blessings. You know, the rain, the sun, the things that we have, that we, we live by. And this is known as God's common grace. We see the word grace a lot. Grace is very important. But there are two types of grace. There's God's common grace. And that's God exercising his common grace. And what it is, is undeserved goodness and blessings towards sinners. And how does God do that? Well, by letting the sun shine on everybody, letting the rain fall on everybody, by restraining sin, just as he did with Job, when he went through the book of Job, he, things would be a lot worse if he didn't restrain sin. He reduces misery, really. I know there's a lot of misery in the world, but God is in control, and he's in his control. By his common grace, he's reducing what the misery could well be. He's withholding in what is wrong. You look through the Bible characters and all of them needed to be punished at some time or other. But God didn't punish them. God was being patient. It was God's grace. The thief on the cross. He lived a, a, a life of a robber and a thief. But God allowed him to live. He didn't punish him for that. Okay, society would, but God didn't pour his wrath on that person. That person came to Christ on the cross. So, this all the world, while administering general blessings to all mankind. Why is that? So that we can see the presence in the world of God. And also, it's the world that God loves. John says that, doesn't he? For God so loved the world. It doesn't mean that you know, he loves worldliness. It means he loves the people of the world. He loves the world, good and bad. His love goes out to them. Common grace is what we term non-redemptive. Common grace doesn't save you. This is grace that you don't deserve, but God in his love for this fallen world gives. This is in recognition 
of God's love. God's saving grace is that which is found in Christ alone. So just get those two things in your mind, because this is what these people are struggling with. You know, they're not seeing the goodness of God in the things that are happening around them. They're not seeing the patience of God. They're not seeing the love of God. They're not seeing the love that God has for them, how he hasn't judged them. But he's coming to the point where, look, I'm giving you chance after chance after chance. You keep coming back. You keep ignoring what I'm saying. You keep constantly justifying your own actions. You won't listen to me. And my patience is running out. So I'm just fed up with listening to you. And that's being different. But that's the point that we're at in this part of this um, letter. When bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people, this is not an indication of injustice. It's an illustration of God's love. Okay? It's a call to repentance in anticipation of the day when justice will be delivered. Now, let me just say that again. And I'll read it as I've written it here, because it's important that we get hold of it. When bad things happen to good people, when good things happen to bad people, this is not an indication of injustice. These people are saying, where's, where's the God of justice when all these people are getting away with these things? This is not an indication. It's a demonstration of God's love. He loves them. And his call to repentance is in anticipation of the justice that will be delivered. People in Malachi's day, um, as I said, the scene of the people prosper, prosper while they, his people, suffer. This causes them to ask the question where's God? Where's the God of justice? He won't punish them. So if he won't punish them, this is their conclusion. Why should we be faithful to him? Why bother? No. They're not being punished, and we think they should be punished. And God's not punishing them. Now he's talking to us now and telling us that we've got to we've got to do the sacrifices like he says. You know, why bother? Why are we bothering? This is the point they've reached. This is them turning away from God's wisdom and coming up with their own thoughts and ideas and justifying their own. People do that, don't they? People will do that. The truth for them was that they were suffering. Yes, they were. Why? Because of their unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness to what? To God. Unfaithfulness to the promise of a Savior. They were putting God's promise in jeopardy. The Lord was protecting the promise as he's calling them to repent. As he's letting them suffer to bring them to the point of repentance. And he's protecting the promise. The promise of a saviour. And the promise is the reason that God is calling them to repentance. Because he's preparing them to be the conduit through which the Messiah will come. That's why. That's why God is treating them the way he is. That's why the suffering 
That's why we know that he's already started to, to withdraw some of the corn blessings. The, the, the food is short, the rain isn't coming, the crops are failing. And that's God doing it because he wants to bring them to the point of repentance to protect the promise so that Jesus would come and we would benefit from that. The problem was that they couldn't see the connection. The connection between sin and punishment, right? Redemption and forgiveness. The God of justice was being a God of love to his people and to the rest of the world. The God of justice was being a God of love to these people. When we see Eden Foster and the church suffering, we like men might be tempted to say, like they did, where is God? Where is the God of justice? Why does he let this happen? If that happens, why is this happening and that happens? We live in a simple world. God is patient. And God is patient because he wants all to come to repentance. His will is that none should suffer. Isn't it really a phrase that we could take away with us? I was working out how to say these things you know, in a nutshell so we get a hold of it. And we don't measure God's love by how much he satisfies our physical wants. Okay. We don't measure God's love by how much he satisfies our physical wants. Lord, won't you buy me? Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? You know, this is, you think, well, why is it me who has the bad hip? Why is it me who, who, who you know, can't pay the bills. Why is it? Why is it me? You know, these are things that we we, we want and not necessarily need. Let me finish that phrase off. We don't measure God's love by how much He satisfies our physical wants, but by how He has supplied our spiritual needs. Okay. That's the thing. It's not our physical wants. It's our spiritual needs. Next little heading for this bit is how does God love us? When sometimes you might say, Where is God in this situation? Is it that God doesn't love me? Does he seem to be here? How does God love us? Well, that's what these people are saying. And they won't accept that God is loving them. God's told them what he's been doing, how he's been with his people down the generations, and how they've been unfaithful and he's brought them back and He's loved them and he's, he's loving these people and he's in the process of trying to bring them back to himself. So, God actually answers them here in this passage. I'm just going to paraphrase a little bit. How does God love us? He answers it like this. I love you. This is for us now. I love you by giving you my one and only son, who I love. I gave him to you to suffer in your place so that you wouldn't perish under my wrath, but instead live eternally with me. This is how I have loved you. Now believe in him, my son, 
and accept him and be faithful to him even when you suffer and even when the wicked appear to prosper. So that's for us in our day. If we, in times of our lives, when we will say, where is God? Doesn't he love you? So there's the answer he gave to these people. That's the answer he gives to us. Chapter 2 closes with the question from these unfaithful people. Where is the God of justice? Well, the reason is they're self-indulgent, they're proud, they're self-righteous, they're always looking to blame God whenever they are challenged and they're being challenged for their own wrongdoings, but they refuse to see it. They practice insincere religious rituals. Why? Because they're expecting that God would be pleased with them. And God has spoken many times to his people through the mouths of the prophets. We see that right through in the Old Testament. And now he's speaking to them through the mouth of Malachi. And by the way, Malachi's name, I understand, means messenger. Okay, messenger. That's what his name means. Some people think it's just messenger, and we don't know his name. Other people say, no, his name is Malachi, which means messenger. But it doesn't really matter, does it? It doesn't really matter. He's the messenger. And I say that because of what we're going to look at next. Um, by the way, Psalm 73. If you get the time, um, just read through Psalm 73. The psalmist is dealing with exactly the same problem as the people in the days of Malachi are dealing with. And he dealt with it in his day. And if you read through that psalm with Malachi in mind, particularly this passage we're looking at now, then you will be able to draw something from it. So, 73, Psalm 73. Take a note of it. And ask me later if you forget me. <coughs> but Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 to 5, opens with these words. So, verse 1. <coughs> I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. And suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant, whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. Let's stop for a moment. Who is the messenger of the covenant? We've got messengers mentioned here. Malachi was the last messenger of the Old Testament. Right? Because this is the last book in the Old Testament. This is their last chance really. But the message that he's bringing goes on. And it'll go on for the next 400 years. And it will also continue into the New Testament when Jesus arrives. And you will see the same thing happening with, with, the, the, with, the, with the sort of priests, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the leaders. The same thing, the same thing is going on. They're still at the same mindset. Not all of them. And we need to remember that. We're going to look at that a little Briefly, just in a few minutes. But Malachi was the last messenger to the Old Testament. Now he's speaking about another messenger. Now, get this, because you'll work out if it is. We're not going to look at that yet. He's speaking about another messenger who will prepare the way for the one who is the messenger of the covenant. Yeah? And the one who is the messenger of the covenant, will fulfill the promise given to Abraham and the law given to Moses. He's the one that they know 
of us the Messiah. Okay? You get that? Over in that little verse there. The first messenger will be a prophet. The one who would follow will be the Lord. The one that they are longing for. They've already said that. They're longing for him. He will come. And he will come to his temple. Okay. That in mind. This is speaking to the people of the Old Testament, preparing them for when the Messiah comes. So these are people of the Old Testament. They were still people of the Old Testament when Jesus came. They were the same people who were being spoken to by the prophet Malachi. And I've had a lot of time talking to about God's vision. We're going to learn more about that when we come to the end of chapter 4. Okay, leave that to one side, but don't forget, keep it in mind, keep that verse in mind, and just think about what we've just said. But for now, there's a warning to these unfaithful people of what it will be like when these messengers come. If you want justice, be careful what you ask for. I said that before, okay? This is a warning to them. The people in this Amalekai claiming to be looking forward to the day when justice would be done. They would be exalted when that happens. And all their enemies would be defeated. On that day, they would not be judged. But God would pour out his wrath on the other nations. And this would be a time for them to celebrate not so. Not so. Did they celebrate when Jesus came? No. No, they didn't. They were expecting they would. That's why when he came, it wasn't the Messiah they expected. They expected the Messiah to deliver freedom to them in their day, to defeat the Roman Empire, to raise them up and make them the power over the other nations, and then to judge all the other nations for the wrongs that they've been doing against them. That's why there was so much reluctance to accept Jesus, because they had the message from Malachi, they didn't understand it, they refused to understand it, and so they came up with their own ideas. And this is the opposition that Jesus faced. So, do you see that? Do you see the link? Do you see what we've got here? Malachi 3, verse 2 to 5. Justice will be done. That's what they want, but it will be done in God's way. Verse 2 and 3. But who can endure the day that's coming? This is a warning right away to these people. They want to celebrate because it's going to come to freedom. Get rid of whatever nations are against them. But wait a minute. Who can endure the day that's coming? There's a, there's a word of warning. Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire and warm to soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites. Yeah. And refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in. 
righteousness. This message is a precursor for those Levites in the days when Jesus came into this world. <coughs> we were expecting a different Messiah. These illustrations of the great living refine us fire. Fire refines. It gets rid of all the dross. As a printer, I used to part of the job as an apprentice was to dross the pot. The pot is the molten metal. And the dross is there. You'd have to get it really hot, hotter than it should be. Staring off this place. <laughs> and all the dross would rise to the top. And you'd scoop it off with a ladle. A great big thing like a serpent would take your chips out of your frying pan. And all the dross would stay in it. So the refiner's <coughs> fire and soap, soap removes the stains. So what we've got here is purification and cleansing. You know, when you dross the metal pot, the surface was shiny. Really shiny, if you break. And then, you know, what was the soap we used to that? Couldn't half smell it. <laughs> Horrible stuff. It didn't all get your clothes clean. Carbolic soap. Yeah, there you go. Carbolic soap. So, what have you got there? You've got the refiner's fire. You've got the soap, the refiner's soap. And you've got purification and cleansing. That's what it's going to bring. Purification and cleansing. Look at the message that John the Baptist brought. Okay? We'll look at that later. Not, not, not this evening. <coughs> This will be offered to the Levites here in the days of Malachi and into the days when the two messengers that he speaks about comes. Doesn't stop. Carries on. This point I thought to consider from the New Testament. Because not all the people in the days of Malachi were, were, were away from the Lord. There were the faithful ones were still there. Not all of the, the Pharisees were against Jesus when he came. So listen to these few verses from the New Testament just to give us that picture. They weren't all bad. Some were faithful here in the days of Malachi. They weren't all bad in the days of Jesus. But some were faithful. Acts 6 verse 7. So the word spread, this is the gospel, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased, most of them Jews. Yeah. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of the priests became obedient to faith. Look at that. See the refiner's fire. The soap the cleansing, the purifying, it was happening. Where did Paul go first to the Jewish people? Probably with the same message, probably both the same message that Malachi had to the people in his day. Revelation 1 verse 6. And has made us to be, get this bit, a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father and to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen.
Levites. We're not the tribe of Levite, but we're priests in the sight of God. You see? You see the connection? Verse 4. <coughs> and the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem. Okay, that's basically the Jewish people. Will be acceptable to the Lord as in the days gone by and as in former years. Why is that? That's because those people were coming under the new covenant to the real Messiah and bringing worship in his name. Okay? Offering of righteousness. These will be made under the new covenant by the means of God's saving grace by the death and resurrection. Jesus. Good. Just read a few more things. I'm going to read Matthew 9, verse 19 to 13. And then I'm going to read a little bit from John. And then I'm going to close for this evening as we finish with verse 5 of our passage. So just listen to this in context of what we've been looking at. Matthew 9, verse 9 to 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. But go and learn what this means. Right? They could go and learn this from their knowledge of the Old Testament and their knowledge of this book of Malachi. But those who are ill, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. And then John 12. If anyone, if anyone hears my words, but doesn't keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Days of Malachi. Malachi saying, look, God's not going to judge those people that you want me to judge right now. He's going to judge you. He's going to get you right. And then when we come to the New Testament, Jesus comes. And he doesn't come to judge, he comes to save and to free. But he will be the judge. And he will come. But God delays his wrath. He delays that judgment that many people call out for. But be, be careful what you call out for. Be careful. It will come. God is patient. And the day will come when, as in the days of Malachi, it is over. His patience has ended now. And the time has come for judgment. We finish this evening with what is a direct reference to the people of Malachi's day from the Lord Almighty to those who said to him, Where's the God of justice? And he said to them, The God of justice will judge you because you are guilty. So this is the verse we're going to finish with now, verse 5. 
So I will come to put you on trial. Talking to the Old Testament people here. Talking to his people, people of Israel, tribe of Judah. So I will come and put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against. This is a list of what they were doing that they shouldn't have been doing. And they were doing it in the name of God. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, against those who defraud labors of their labors of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive the foreigners and Indians of justice. But do not fear them. Just uh, Almighty God saying, you know, you're not fearing them. You're doing all these things. You're doing them wrong. And if you look at those things, some of them are the spiritual things they should have been doing in worship. Others are the personal things they should have been doing to their own people and the people around them. And you're doing it. But if you just take that last verse and break it down, we're not going to do that soon. We're going to leave it there. And then we're going to carry on with the rest of it over here. So, what about we do there now? Just, just pray before we memorize. Father, we just thank you again for the, the, the fact that we can gather around your word, and sometimes it might seem complicated to us. And our Father, we just pray that, that, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will remind us of these words, and maybe as we read through this passage uh, in the quietness of our own home, maybe with a cup of coffee, a cup of tea, and we consider what we've heard tonight, we might see these pieces of the puzzle falling into place. And we can see that, that, that the fact that in the 400 years between the Old and the New Testament, you were not silent. You didn't send any prophets, but you'd already sent Malachi. And you would send another prophet. And in the meantime, you were patient. <coughs> well, Father, just help us to understand these things <coughs> uh, as we gather together in your name here this evening. Amen. Amen. Amen.